Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Two, Street Candles. Today's installment, Chapter 17. The place was of a different style inside than out, a sort of chic minimalism with few furnishings and fixtures in evidence, though the ones I saw seemed expensive. The walls were self-lighted and glowed a cool gray right now. There were people stepping quickly back and forth, while an ancient woman, possibly Sindra's old nanny or personal servant or something, bustled about her, weeping and hugging the girl spasmodically. This lady then turned to the rest of us with a welcome in Seishan that I couldn't follow at all. Sindra's dad, a man with silver hair and a slightly stooped build under a tailored house suit that looked like it cost more than I made in a year, attended to his child with decisive little movements, a fast hug, a kiss to the temple, and a quick pass to the old woman, and muttered instructions to the penguin man, who listened with extreme gravity and a custom focus. Then, to a different fellow, and with a glance to the other kids, he gave orders for their care as well. Finally, his storm-cloud gray eyes, like lighter, sharper, and more targeting versions of Sindra's, turned upon the foreigner in the crowd. I stepped forward, with hand extended, but there were suddenly large people in the way, some in uniforms, some in expensive suits which seemed like uniforms of another sort. A man among them, with brown, close-cropped hair and beard, and a steady gaze at least fifteen centimeters above my own, appeared out of thin air. A woman in military garb, sporting a blonde flat top and a face as impassive as a shark's, flanked him just as quickly. She had one hand on her belt, touching something that wasn't a gun, but didn't look like rainbows and unicorns either. Patro! Sindra pulled away from the old woman, who was now moving her gnarled hands in little nervous clapping motions, frightened eyes taking in the quick movement and tension. The young girl wore a tight smile on her face and pushed through the men and women who barred the way to take my arm and escort me forward. I doubt that her enthusiasm alone would have been enough to change their minds, so her father must have nodded or made some other sign of permission. As I came through... I realized with a start that I had almost died just then. She explained something quickly, quietly, in a seishan that seemed less formal or maybe accented differently than the others, as if she didn't use it much. Her father listened with obvious attention, but his eyes were on me. Then she said something shocking, because the adults around us, saving the bodyguards who barely seemed to move enough to breathe, gasped. The old woman even touched the girl's shoulder, as if to offer some belated comfort, while she told what I assume was a tale of close calls and escapes. He only speaks English, Patro, the girl finished up for my benefit. He is not smart like that. I present the man who saved our lives. This is... 
Spacer, what is your name again? She laughed then, and so did the others, save her dad, who simply studied me with those eyes like the sky outside. I put on my best interview smile and introed myself, explaining about Griselda and my accidental arrival on their charming world. I spoke with all the nerve and confidence I could muster at that moment, yet it still sounded flighty and stumbling to my ears. I finished off suddenly with a slightly sheepish shrug and just stood there, waiting for the judgment of a man who was not likely in the habit of trusting either strangers or fortunate happenstance. The pause couldn't have lasted more than a second or two, but in that time and in those eyes, I saw critical assessment change to something like deep calculation. His face relaxed, and he gave me a bright, well-practiced, indeed a masterful smile. Hark Vernaise, Sindra's Patro replied with a bow. I am forever in your debt. Oh, I, I feel like we were just refugees in a storm, huddling together. Just so. Yet one's priorities can never truly be known until they are acted upon, yes? His accent was distinctly that of noble space, but clear and refined, and in strong contrast to a career laborer like, say, Ben Roggenston. Indeed, they were probably about as far apart from each other as the class system over there could allow. I just watched him watching me, as everyone did at that moment. It can be a mystery even then, I replied at length, my smile and tone of voice unchanged, since clarity comes with a price. Oh? Certainly. Time. Ultimately, it's the cost of everything in life. Or maybe I'm just a fool. Sindra stepped past me then, as if to consciously end this odd exchange, so like a battle of blind wills. You definitely sound like one, Spacer. Go and clean yourself up. You are a guest of House Vernays. Ja, condescentras, patro? Low speak, Beben, that guttural tone. Her father sighed and shook his head, and all the people, who weren't all business, and bore a sidearm to prove it, laughed, even me. Of course you are our guest, Mr. DeSantos. Takir will show you to a room where you may make yourself comfortable. Please... No, you are welcome, and once again, we thank you. This actually prompted polite applause, and the penguin butler man stepped into view and waited for me to follow, which I did, of course, into a side room. It seemed like a walk-in closet or something, and there were benches and chairs with rack upon rack of fine coats, dress jackets, and proper clothing for the weather. Other attendants appeared by some unspoken command or sense of common timing, taking my wet, soiled cold gear. There were some startled looks at the dirty, torn condition of my jumpsuit underneath, but these were people apparently trained to hold their tongues, and I was given a pair of leather-looking slippers to replace my worn boots. Takir then showed me up a rich, real wood staircase that twisted like a ribbon to the second story. Below us, in the main hall, the people were still gathered a bit, but all the kids and a few of the servants were now elsewhere. Commissioner Vernays was speaking to a soldier guy with a lot of arm stripes, and it looked like there were more of them waiting their turn. The older man then moved off to the side, 
out of my sight, and the others followed. The butler escorted me down a long, spare hallway, with thick carpeting and occasional paintings in simple frames. They were probably expensive, but I didn't stop to look, nor would I have been able to tell. We turned a corner and continued a bit before stopping at an unmarked, unadorned door. It slid open silently at his touch, revealing a suite that was wide and clean, perfect apparently for scruffy but honored guests. There was a guy in matching gray tunic and pants waiting in the center of the room, who bowed as we entered. He immediately stepped off toward a fresher to the side, whereupon I heard water being drawn. The meal tonight will prove a happy one, sir, Takir ventured, probably because I just stood there looking lost. You may not be aware of proper dining hours upon Barlow, considering the length of the days and nights. His accent was clear and oddly reminiscent of folks. Can I ask where you're from, Mr. Takir? Uh, just Takir, sir, thank you. I am from Gassin, in the Empire. It is a holding of Berendescu, noble patron and personal friend of the Vernet's family. My own people are hereditary domestics and serve, if I may be forgiven my pride, only the best families in all of Imperial space. It's just that you sound like someone else I know. Ah, I had the good fortune to receive training upon Terra, and confess to having picked up the accent when speaking English or its related tongues. I served my apprenticeship in the house of a close relation to the King of England. My manner of speech is a reflection of that time. I hope it does not offend. Certainly not. So, England, huh? I've heard of that. Have you indeed, sir? Very good. His tone lacked any sarcasm, yet he made me feel stupid somehow just by leaving it out. He stood there with a professional blandness that he'd honed to a keenness several degrees sharper than that of a ship's steward. It must have represented an industry standard of some kind. Or was he of a caste? I never could understand how lifelong professions worked over there, despite having studied it a bit and meeting many people from that area of space through the years. When will it be? Dinner, I mean? Do I have time to rest? Indeed. Late meal, as it is known on this world, isn't for another seven hours. This would roughly correspond to the early part of the evening under a twenty-four-hour day-night cycle. We have after-meal yet before then. Would it be possible to get something even sooner, maybe up here? I've had very little to eat since arriving on planet. Absolutely, sir. What can we bring for you? A sandwich would be great. Any kind. I'd really appreciate it. It would be our pleasure, sir. Please, in the meantime, do make yourself comfortable. The other guy had come back out by this time and just stood by the fresher, as if waiting for me. This was confusing for a long moment, and I looked to Takir, who was taking in my every move and expression. Stev is here to assist you, sir. I am afraid, though, that his Inglis is poor. Oh, well, um... I think I know how to use a bathroom. The butler seemed at a loss. I have no doubt of it, sir. Clearly I was missing something, but I smiled and thanked him anyway. He excused himself with a dignity tinged with confusion 
assuring me that someone named Estrono would have my request prepared quickly. Stev bowed to me when I turned to the bathroom and started to follow me in, but I held up my hand and he just bowed again. The shower was hot and stinging, but quite nice. I probably could have lingered there, but water being so precious in space, I'd gotten into the habit of washing very fast. The filthy jumpsuit, as well as the underclothes, were gone when I stepped out from the wide stall. That was quite perplexing for a moment, but there was a huge, soft bathrobe waiting on a hanger, so I put that on instead. Takir and a young boy in a white jacket were in the other room with Stev when I came out, along with a covered tray that the boy was just setting down at a side table. The butler seemed surprised to see me, or to see me again so quickly, anyway. That's not the sort of thing you comment on, though, thankfully. Under the cover of the tray, there was a meat-like sandwich along with some kind of cheese-style material. It had a few pieces of green, leafy vegetation on it and a tangy sauce or something on the bread. The bread itself was thin and crustless, but nice-looking. There was also tea on the side and a large cookie. This is quite wonderful, I pronounced with emotion. Thank you so much. You're all very kind. We are delighted to be of use, sir. And all three bowed to varying degrees. Takir just inclined his head a bit. He then dismissed the boy. Stev moved off some too and began searching out clothes from the big closet. He eyed me with care, as if comparing sizes, and made a small pile of garments. He then announced something in Seishan, to which Takir nodded in assent, before bowing once more to me and leaving with the clothes. I looked quizzically at the butler. He is delivering those garments to the tailoring staff for a proper fitting. The shower took your measurements, sir, automatically, and that information will allow for a perfect fit. It will take at least an hour, though, I'm afraid. Would it be okay if I rested after I eat? Again, he looked perplexed. I can't imagine that it wouldn't be, sir. Do you have any instructions? For whom? For anyone, sir. Should I? If you wish it. Um, well, I, I guess I don't. Is that okay? Absolutely, sir. Shall I leave you then? Stev will return momentarily. Why is that? We were definitely speaking the same language, but communication with this penguin man was quite elusive. We both stood there with wrinkled brows. It is his place, sir. Oh, he had to make space for me, didn't he? No, sir. You. He is your personal servant while you are here. My what? He blinked in complete confusion, as did I. He is here to assist you with whatever you need. I just hung there, flailing for a bit. Well, please thank him for me, but I don't really need any more help right now. I don't believe I understand, sir. I'd like to be left alone entirely, if that's all right. Could I just, I don't know, call him maybe if I need help? Ah, my apologies, certainly, sir. You will find a calm by the bed, one in the bath, and others wall-mounted in each room. There is only one button. Simply press it and say what it is you need. 
Thank you, Takir. And do me one more favor. Absolutely, sir. Please don't sir me so much. It's off-putting. He was positively speechless by that and looked quite disturbed for a moment, the first time he'd displayed any emotion beyond perplexment, really. But anything less would be disrespectful, sir. Not to me. In fact, it's downright irksome. I get that you have a job to do, and I really don't want to make it any more difficult. Understand, though, that I've just had the worst day of my life, and I don't have the energy for this sort of thing. I sat with an exhausted sigh at the table, then picked up the sandwich. The chair there hurt my butt as it was long on style, but short on upholstery. Takir watched me coolly, and with that brow which displayed a hint of... what? After a few seconds of thought, he simply nodded. I confess that I find the bluntness of Alliance citizens a continual surprise. I had no idea what he meant, but I didn't have the presence of mind to ponder it anymore. I insulted you? I asked, then took a bite. The protein layer of the sandwich had an odd texture, but it was really quite good. Oh, not at all. The surprise is a pleasant one. If sir is offensive, may I ask what you would prefer? Everyone just calls me Ejok. Actually, not everyone, but it's my name. He considered my words with a disturbed frown. The familiarity of that would be problematic. Oh, yeah, okay. How about Mr. DeSantos, then? I'm just not used to people kowtowing. He was suddenly stiff and so drawn as to seem almost, well, not dead, but not alive either, like he'd never been alive, like a mannequin or a stone. I assure you, Mr. DeSantos, I have never kowtowed in my life. Don't be prickly, it's just a figure of speech. Not in the Empire, it isn't. Had I been standing, I might have been set back on my heels by that. The words, yes, and even the imagery it conjured, but mostly by the cool humility in his manner, contrasted by the depths of raw pride whence his simple statement must have risen. Well, I spoke quietly, trying to match his unfathomable mood. You aren't in the Empire anymore, are you, Takir? There was a sense of clarity to him now. Again, no change in stance, facial expression, or tone of voice, but I had the strong impression that he had just come to understand a thing. My apologies, Mr. DeSantos. I had been laboring under the impression that you were the owner of your ship. This made me laugh, and I think I did insult him then. <laughs> Not hardly. I belong to three separate trade unions just so I can maintain a viable resume. I do several different jobs aboard Griselda. One of them is like Stev's, in fact. I'm a steward. He kept watching in an intense way, giving me no clue, not a single idea of what he was thinking. Your presence here as an honored guest of this house is unprecedented for a person of our class. Our class? <laughs> and which one is that? He studied me even harder then, as if looking through my borrowed robe, and even through me, to see into my life and my past. Working. There was nothing harsh in his voice, 
nothing angry. He didn't turn red in the face or gnash his teeth. Yet, like lightning illuminating an alien country, I saw that something bright and powerful did indeed wait inside this man. Normally locked away and controlled with a will forged from the fallout of distinction and privilege, it was a reservoir, perhaps of kindness, perhaps of poison. But for just one instant in that burst of light, it appeared bottomless. And then the moment was gone. The penguin man presented a bow, more shoulders than waist, then withdrew, leaving quickly, silently, and with perfect, perfect composure. After only a few seconds of sleep, Stev, the attendant with no English, touched my shoulder to awaken me where I lay in my big soft bed. How had he gotten in without my hearing him? I'd barely just closed my eyes. I asked what he wanted, and he replied in useless Seishan while pointing off away over his shoulder at nothing. I felt extremely sore all over, especially along my back and feet. I hadn't really checked out the cabinet in the bathroom for painkillers yet, so I wobbled out of bed slowly while Stev stood nearby. He made to steady me, but I waved him off curtly. Didn't Takir tell you not to bother me? The man bowed with a transient smile, then turned to fuss with some clothes he'd brought in with him on a portable rack. These were the suits he'd taken away, apparently now tailored and cleaned, and he began explaining fine details of each garment with a rapid, unintelligible flow. He chose something in muted earth tones, holding it up for my approval. But I'd never owned a suit in my life, so any one of them was just as good as another. I nodded, and he went on, very fast, very busy with the accoutrements. I stood watching for nearly a minute, not thinking at all, not moving. I had turned off visual prompts from my retinals when I laid down, but a few specific eye movements brought them up again. Only then did I learn that I had slept for six hours and was now running late for dinner. Stev was, in fact, acting like a firestorm was coming, it turned out he was a loquacious sort when his boss wasn't around, but this habit only put an irritating gibber in the room. There must have been conventions in the house that everyone else understood and adhered to, including the guests. Add into this my belief that Commissioner Vernays didn't yet trust me, nor indeed even know what to make of me, and I started to adopt some of Stev's nervousness. I needed to figure a way off this rock but I was putting on a suit. I had to find my captain and fellow crewman, but I was getting ready for dinner. I had to seek out my ship's passengers, seemingly lost on a world gone mad. Yet I needed another quick shower and had to shave and pick out some shoes and... I was in and out of the bathroom in minutes, showered, shaved, and presentable like I was going on a date. I eschewed donning a nerve block, sensing it would look funny with the suit, and went instead with some analgesic eye drops I found in the cabinet. Between these and the shower, I was less painful after a few minutes, enough so to function anyway. The chattery man helped me into the clothes, his attention to detail every bit as professional and grave as if it was a pressure suit, and I was about to step into vac. 
He adjusted my creases and buttons and selected jeweled cufflinks and a thin tie. It was surreal, even fantastic, and I honestly couldn't tell if I was still asleep. Of all the possible ports I could have put into in this storm, this one was likely the very best. That didn't make it any less weird or dangerous, and... Disparate thoughts came one upon the other, rapidly, chaotically. But the idea of ports brought up one in particular that rather settled my mind. I need a few minutes to myself, I told the busy man, who just nodded, bowed, and kept fussing. I repeated it louder, because, of course, that always helps. Stev just nodded more vigorously. Finally, I stopped his restless hands as he plucked at fuzz or lint invisible to me and gestured for him to use the door. He looked confused and then distressed. He chattered again, sounding upset, but I walked him over and waved it open, hoping my tone would sound soothing. Stav progressed to looking positively frightened when I closed the door in his face. With a few hand and head gestures, I tested for a house network. There were, in fact, several. They were all wrapped in security and encryption, but it was rather old stuff by most AIN standards, and I found some decrypt keys for their like in one of the dodgy cracker packs I'd picked up at some point. None of the house networks I tried had outside links to the wider planetary net, which I found odd. Possibly they'd been disconnected in the wake of the Troubles, I could get on them, but they were all confined to the local grounds. Another network signal was strong and close, and had some particularly strong crypto to it. This seemed like a good candidate for outside access, but I didn't have anything with me to break into something that hard, and I certainly didn't have the skills to do it from scratch. There were other nets, too, a bit further off, but they had military profiles and more hard encryption. The dampness sensors in the walls of the bathroom were of a popular brand, and a quick glance at the one behind the toilet, a standard location for those things, got me a serial number. Cracking such sensors was as simple as looking for a weak signal with the right profile, requesting an interrupt, and supplying the serial number and wireless address, which my rig had already identified. These things were part of the automated home maintenance net, which itself usually had direct outside access so as to comply with the service contracts of a house's major appliances. It was a creaky attack and had inconvenient backdooriness all over it, but in two minutes flat, I was on the major world net outside the grounds. The net account and my corresponding ID came up as domestic staff, House Vernays. I then did a search for Griselda's node. It was all significantly easier this time, but because of the dampness sensor's bottleneck, they weren't designed to send much data at any one time, understand, I was limited to audio only. I used Gunnery's port number, voice verified as before, and called command. A Lareda grabbed it on the first ring. Ejok, where are you? Where are the others? We haven't heard anything. I'm okay for the moment, Paz, but Barlow is a rotten mess. You're watching the vids? Yes, we are. Up here, the rebels took over all the satellite's facilities. The fighting had stopped for a while, and there was even a parade last shift that wound through the companionways. 
but violence broke out again about six hours ago. It looks like they're at each other's throats now. <laughs> that didn't take long. They've been leaving us to ourselves. I'm thinking this is our chance. You, you know what that means. I do, Paz, and you're right. I conceded at last, the overwhelming difference between desire and reality looking now like an iron wall as tall as mid-orbit. Just go, get the ship out. I still have no idea where Carmi and Dell are. If I can arrange for a shuttle ride, I'll call back, but that seems unlikely right now. Ejok, honestly, I'm so sorry. It's fine, really. I hate it, but I get it. If I'd followed Gasto back aboard, I'd be aboard right now. Have Small or his people called in? No, but we did get pings from their comm numbers a few hours ago. Ira thinks that he, or somebody, was doing a system check on their intercommunications. I doubt he was even aware he'd called us. Did you get any geolocation data with that? Actually, I think so. Hold on. Uh, yes, here it is. And a moment later, a file appeared in my inbox. I popped it up and overlaid it on my own mapping program. Just looks like garbage data, Ilareta said. It did to me too, and yet... Look, I have to go. Where are you? Are you safe? Well, believe it or not, I'm going to a dinner party right now. Whether I'm safe is another question entirely. I'll call back when I get a chance. I cut the link just as a knock came to the door. Opening it revealed Takyur, a bland smile on his face. Stev stood at his side and a bit behind, looking less worried now he had the head of the domestic staff involved. It is nearly time for late meal, Mr. DeSantos. The other guests have all arrived and are being seated. I'm afraid Stev must have communicated the custom of the house poorly. No, that was entirely my fault. Look, can we take a moment and chat, Takyur? Late meal is beginning. This won't take long, please. As you wish, he replied easily, then dismissed the nervous Stev with a curt nod and stepped in. I closed the door and turned to him. I need travel clothes and provisions, maybe a med kit. My flight bag, too. I gave it to the soldiers outside. You won't be staying, then. His question was level, but there was a hint of surprise in his eyes. Should I? I'm sure the Commissioner would consider it an honor. You are valued. I'm happy to have helped out. They're good kids, and I like them. And Commissioner Vernays may even believe I provided him a service. I'm fine with that, too, but it's not really the same as being valued. Is it, Takyur? He gave me a quick, sharp look then, the mask of a manservant dropping just a hair. He studied me for long moments after this, evenly, critically, a man whose livelihood depended upon reading the moods, temperaments, and meanings of others. I only need to rest a bit, I said quietly. Then I'll be gone. I'm sure the master would. I'm not telling him right now. I'm telling you. This isn't my world. He moved back a half step, his eyes shifting to the door, just a flick, and then he returned them to mine. Ownership is a complicated thing, Mr. DeSantos. If the world isn't yours, 
Then whose might it be? I turned around, looking into a wide wall mirror. I worked with my tie, which I'd unconsciously loosened while talking to Aylareda. I only succeeded in making it too tight and crooked, and Takir stepped over to straighten it for me. I think there's a smart answer to that and a stupid one, I said evenly as he worked. I'm a stupid man. I don't know whose world this is. Maybe it belongs to some people now, but things can change. Can't they? His fingers hesitated at my throat for long moments. Then, barely above a breath, he said, Sometimes they can. I held his eyes, and he didn't look away. Nor did he put up his butler's mask. He was a man in that moment, assessing, probing, waiting. I saw desperation in the look, and though not directed at me, anger. Lots of it. Breaking the spell, he tugged lightly at the knot, just once, then stepped away. His work looked flawless in the mirror. I turned to the door. Above everything else, I'll need quality cold gear. Nothing fancy or rich-looking, but very warm. I might be sleeping rough for a while. None of that presents a problem, except for your bag, I'm afraid. It is beyond my reach. Well, whatever you can do then. I opened the door and gestured for him to lead on. You're a capable man, Takir, unless I miss my mark. His mask of bland servitude was once again in place, hiding every thought and emotion of value. I trust you do not, Mr. DeSantos. I trust you do not. You have been listening to Street Candles, written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com or drop me an email at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called Icor by Trunks and can be found on soundcloud.com. The Street Candles theme is called Undercover by Karsten Holy Moly and can be found on dig.ccmixter.org. This production is otherwise copyright 2013 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Street Candles is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead or any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.